0: Hello to everybody here in St. Charles, as well as our friends in Bartlett and DeKalb, Blackberry Creek. It is good to be together as a church family, isn't it? Well, today we are going to be talking about reaching out to your neighbors. I'm going to be encouraging you to find opportunities to share the gospel of Jesus, the good news of what he's done with the people who live all around you. This is going to be an evangelism message. And I should tell you up front one thing. I hate evangelism messages. I think that means I'm going to have the shortest career of any teaching pastor at Christ Community Church. Uh, I'm not sure if Jim and Eric are going to come drag me off the stage right now or if it's going to be after the service, but it's been nice knowing all of you. Um, But seriously, I I get frustrated by these kinds of messages. And it's not because I disagree with them. In fact, quite the opposite. I think that sharing your faith is one of the core components of the Christian life. It's up there with prayer and worship and service and confession. These are things we just do as followers of Jesus. It's critical. It's not an optional bonus thing that some believers get to do. It's something that all of us are called to participate in. And that's kind of the reason why it's so frustrating to hear a message encouraging you to share your faith. Because every time I hear messages like this, I, I, I mean, I get so fired up, I get so excited, but then I think about sharing my faith. And let's just be honest, sharing your faith can be just so stinking awkward, can it? It's so weird. You, you you think about it, and usually most of us don't get past the thinking part on this, and we 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 imagine talking to our friends, and we feel like we're going to be a door to door salesman, just pitching something that they're not really interested in, and and most people don't really enjoy a door to door salesman all that much. Uh, most people feel the way my friends do, who put this sign on their door. There you go. <laughs> and I I don't really want to complain too much about door-to-door salespeople. Um, I I actually kind of sympathetic with them because I wouldn't want to be doing their job either. I remember uh, last summer there was a, a boy who came up and knocked on our door and he was selling candy bars. And normally selling candy bars in my neighborhood, I'm an easy sell. If you're a kid in my neighborhood, you want to sell me some cookies or some candy, like you can count on me buying what you've got. But this kid wasn't from our neighborhood. He had come in from a few towns over and he was raising money for some organization I'd never heard of. And the material he had about the organization was kind of suspicious. And honestly, the candy looked a little gross. So it was the middle of dinner. And I just said, no, thanks, man. I don't need any candy. He said, ah, Mr. Can't you just like at least just make a donation to the organization? I said, I'm really sorry, man. Uh, We're just not interested. His shoulders slumped and he said, have a nice evening, sir. And he's walking down my driveway and as my screen door clicks shut, I hear him go, come on. And he knew exactly what he was feeling because he had probably walked up a hundred driveways that day and every time, even before he got to the door, he knew what the response was going to be. Not interested or pretend like we're not home, point to the no soliciting sign. He was discouraged even before he made his presentation. And that's how I expect to feel When I share my faith, I expect it to be awkward and unwelcome. And so I want to talk about that today. I want to talk about the the reasons why, for so many of us, this is a daunting thing, that sharing our faith feels really uncomfortable. And to do that, I want us to take a look at a story that happens in the book of Acts. So if you've got a Bible, go ahead and turn there with me. We're going to look at Acts chapter 3. Uh, The book of Acts is right after the four biographies of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If you find those, Acts is the next book. And we're going to look at a story here about two of Jesus' disciples, Peter and John, and they are literally on a walk in their neighborhood, and something incredible happens. So we're going to look at this story. Let's read together chapter 3, verse 1. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer "'Silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. "'In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk.'" And taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God.'" When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened. The rest of the chapter tells what happens after this. A crowd gathers around, and Peter and John have this great opportunity to share what Jesus has done, his death and resurrection, and to call people to respond. And I want to think about what's going on in this story and think about five reasons Why sharing our faith with our neighbors can be so awkward. Let's look at the first one. Reaching out to our neighbors can be awkward because we see our homes as private property, not kingdom territory. We see our homes and the homes of others as private property, not kingdom territory. One of the things that I find so noteworthy in this story is how Peter and John are so intentional as they're going about ordinary things. They're doing something that's part of their day-to-day routine. They're going to the daily prayer meeting at the temple, which according to chapter 2 was something that they were regularly at. So this wasn't some sort of special trip where they said, let's go out and find someone that we can serve or let's go, go out and see who we can share our faith with. They were just doing their normal routine that day and they happened to meet someone. But they weren't on autopilot. They were being very intentional about how they interacted with each person that they came across. They were poised to respond and to act and and not just pass by opportunities. Why was that? Well, I think it's helpful to see this passage in light of the the context of the whole book of Acts, especially the beginning of Acts. If you turn back just a page here, we get the story of what happened right before Jesus goes to heaven. He's Been risen from the dead, and he's meeting with his disciples. And we're told that he spends 40 days talking to them about one thing the kingdom of God. And what do we mean by the kingdom of God? Well, a lot can be said about this, but the basic idea is this God's kingdom is anywhere where his authority is acknowledged. God is ultimately in charge of the whole world, but his kingdom is the place where that rule is respected. Anytime a a, a person or a community says to God, you're in charge, we're going to do things your way, that's where the kingdom shows up. And when that happens, it results in life and flourishing and freedom for the people who are involved in that. And this was really important to Jesus. He spent his whole ministry talking about this, three years traveling around Israel, talking about the kingdom of God. He was saying, the kingdom is coming, the kingdom is near, the kingdom has arrived. And then after he was raised, he kept on talking about it with his disciples And so it was really natural at this point for the disciples to say, okay, you've been talking about this all this time. Is it about to happen? Like, is now when the kingdom's going to come? Are you going to do this? Are we there yet? And Jesus gives this interesting response in Acts 1 verse 7. He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And at first Jesus says, okay, it's not your job to worry about when the kingdom's going to come. That's God's job. You leave that up to him. And at first it sounds like he's dismissing their question about the kingdom. But I don't think that's what's going on. Because it would be really odd for him to spend all of this time talking about the kingdom is coming. The kingdom is coming. The kingdom is coming. And then when they say, is it, is it here? For him to say, oh, don't worry about that. That's not that important. Just... You know, not a big deal. I actually think he's kind of giving an indirect answer in, in what he's explaining here. What he's saying is what you're expecting is not what is going to happen. You think the kingdom's going to come in a great big rush all of a sudden, but it's not going to look like that. When I come back, it's going to be over the whole world and we'll bring it all in everywhere. It's not. But between now and then, the way it's going to show up is different than you think. What's going to happen is this. I'm going to send my spirit on you and the Spirit is going to send you out into the world. And wherever you go, wherever you're my witnesses and tell the story of what I've done for people, and people believe, the kingdom's going to start popping up in those places. And it's going to start right here in Jerusalem and spread from city to city after that. And so this is exactly what's going on in the book of Acts. Jesus' followers are going from place to place. And as people believe in the message of Jesus, the kingdom starts showing up in all of these lives and communities. And so in Acts 3, the reason why Peter and John are so intentional about what they're doing is because they've got this in mind. And they didn't see their presence in Jerusalem as an accident. It wasn't just the place they happened to live. Jesus told them, I'm sending you specifically to Jerusalem to be my witnesses. So you should be on your game looking for opportunities for this. What does this have to do with our neighborhoods? Well, that original assignment... To Jesus' followers, still carries over. It's still an assignment that we have. God has sent each of us as His followers to, to the places where we're at to be His witnesses. And what this means is that the place where you live is not a random location, your home is not yours. You didn't pick it, and it doesn't belong. Now, you may have gone with a realtor to, to find your home. You may have signed a mortgage or a lease. You might think of it as your private property, but that's not the end of the story. The place where you live was chosen for you by God because that's a place where he wants the kingdom to spring up. You are on a mission from God, and that means where you live is not an accident, it's an assignment, so what I want you to do when you go home today is I want you to stand outside your house if it's not raining or stand outside your apartment and I want you to look at the, the, the people around you and the, the houses and the apartments around you and I want you to imagine your neighborhood the way God does. I don't want you to imagine it as a collection of private properties. I want you to imagine it as a place where God says, I want my kingdom to show up here. There are people here who live in this place that I want to to bring into forgiveness and healing in me. This is a place where I want to reconcile relationships, where I want to build community. I want to see wholeness and justice and peace spring up here. I want people to come into joy and life in my spirit. That's what I want to see happen here. I want you to imagine your neighborhood the way God does. This is how Peter and John saw the place where they lived. Is it how you see yours? Let's look at a second reason why reaching out to your neighbors can be so awkward. It's because you're reaching out alone, not with the team that God has given you. You're reaching out alone, not with the team that God has given you. Look back at Acts chapter 3. There is a detail here that is really easy to pass by and not think of as all that significant. Okay, How many disciples are in this story. It's not a trick question. Two. Two disciples in the story. Now, this is significant because what's going on here is not Peter out on his own looking for people to share this faith with. John is not walking around Jerusalem by himself looking for opportunities. The reason that's important is because outreach in the Bible is something that happens in groups. These are two friends out in their normal life and they find an opportunity to share together The good news of Jesus. The reason I think this is significant isn't uh, just because I want to say that, but because of the passage that comes right before it. Look at just the end of Acts chapter 2. There's this paragraph that describes the community life of believers. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. This is what I'm talking about, about the kingdom, the places where people come to believe in Jesus. This this new experience of life together and community springs up and it's so freeing and life-giving and good. And so when Peter and John are experiencing this, they're they're hanging out um, in their neighborhood in Jerusalem. And this is the community that's going on. And as they're walking around, this is the context that they're in. In the Bible, outreach always happens in groups there are exceptions, but the gospel is, sharing the gospel is not a solo activity. When Jesus sends his disciples out, he sends them out two by two. When the apostles go from city to city to plant churches, they go in teams. They go to parties together. They go to community events as a group. It's a team sport. It's hockey, not golf. I wonder, have you ever stopped to think about the team that God has already sent to reach your neighborhood? about the fact that God has sent a team of people already to your neighborhood to reach them there. Do any of you know another believer who lives around you? I guarantee you are not the only believer in your neighborhood around here. There are other followers of Christ. And if God has sent you to your neighborhood to reach your neighbors, the reason he sent them is for the same reason. And what that means is that if you meet another follower of Christ where you live, that is not just a nice connection for the two of you. That is a strategic partnership. It doesn't matter what church they go to. It doesn't matter how naturally you relate to them. If they are a follower of Jesus, they are on your team and you share a mission. And reaching your neighborhood starts with getting to know the rest of your team. Let me tell you about my family's experience with this. When we first moved into our neighborhood about five years ago, we met a man named Charlie and his wife, Chris. Now, Charlie and Chris had been missionaries for a few decades in Venezuela. And before that, Charlie had grown up in Pakistan. And they told us this. They said, you know, in Venezuela, it's really natural to know your neighbors. It's really easy to get to know them. And in Pakistan, not being in a community is harder than being in a community. You get really connected with people there. But they said, we have lived in this same neighborhood in the United States for the last eight years, and we can't seem to get to know anyone. And if you ask other people who have experiences in non-Western cultures, they'll often tell you the same thing. I was talking with some grad students um, at Wheaton College who are from Africa And they were sort of sharing some of their observations about the differences between the cultures they came from and American culture. And they said, Americans are so starved for community that it seems like the only way they can find it is by shoving it into the names of all of their churches. I'm like, oh, I just got this job at this new place. Guess what the name of the church is? It can be hard to find community. So in our neighborhood, what we decided to do is we we're going to try to remedy that. And we were going to start by getting to know even just the believers in our community. And we're still learning how to do this. But what we've been trying to do are the things that are described here in Acts chapter 2. We get together frequently. We eat meals in each other's homes. We, we share things like tools. And we, more importantly than that, we get together on a regular basis to pray. We pray for each other. We pray for our neighbors and the needs that they've shared. Uh, We pray for wisdom to know how to be a blessing in the place where God has put us. And it's incredible. What this has done is it's created a sense of community within our neighborhood that's really easy to invite people into. You, You see, most people don't come to faith simply by learning the beliefs of Christianity. It's not just through ideas that people come to follow Christ. Following Christ isn't just adopting a new set of beliefs, it's being adopted into a new family. And if you can't see how that family interacts, you're not going to be sure if you want to join into that. You might not be compelled by the ideas until you see it lived out in a community. Jesus told us that uh, people are going to know that we are his followers because of the way that we love one another. And that means if your neighbors can't see followers of Christ loving each other, then you've taken one of the most powerful, compelling tools for evangelism off of the table. How are you trying to reach your neighborhood? Are you doing it on your own? Or have you found the team that God's already placed there? Let's look at a third reason why this can be so awkward. Reaching your neighbors can be awkward because your interactions with them are random, not part of a relationship, State Farm Insurance's motto is, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. I've wondered about that slogan uh, and tried to think of some other ways they could have finished that sentence. What about this? Like a good neighbor, State Farm doesn't let their dog poop in your yard. Or like a good neighbor, State Farm doesn't weed whack outside your window when you're trying to sleep in. Or how about this? Like a good neighbor, State Farm leaves their Wi-Fi unlocked so that you could use it. As it stands, State Farm's motto has set the bar for being a good neighbor very, very low. You just have to be there, okay? You just have to be present. You just have to know who your neighbors are. But here's the interesting thing. Most of us don't even meet that standard. So far in the sermon, I haven't actually named the elephant in the room when it comes to neighbors. And that's this. Most of us don't even know our neighbors. And I don't just mean we don't know our neighbors well. I mean, we don't know our neighbors at all i want to do a little experiment here. I want you to think of your five closest neighbors. So maybe your next door neighbors and the sort of three immediate houses uh, right across the street from you. Or if you're in an apartment, the people in your hallway or the, the people in your cul-de-sac or whatever the equivalent of the five closest neighbors that you have. And here's what, I got three questions for you. First is this. Can you name every person who lives in each of those houses or apartments? Can you give their names? Second question, can you name something about someone in each house that you couldn't learn just by observing them from your driveway? So if you know that they've got three kids and they play baseball just because you saw the decal on the back of their minivan, that does not count, okay? They got to tell you something like, I grew up in Iowa, or I'm a bricklayer, or something that they had to come out of their mouth for you to know it. Third... Can you name something significant about them, something that makes them tick, their values, their goals, their beliefs, their fears, things like this? I got these questions from a book called The Art of Neighboring, and the authors of this book, they've gone around the country doing seminars and conferences, and they've always asked these questions, and they say that pretty consistently, only 10% of people can answer the first question. Only 10% of people know the names of all their immediate neighbors, 3% of people can answer the second question and give some piece of information about those people. And less than 1% of people know something, anything, about the beliefs, values, or views of someone in each home. Look again at Acts chapter 3. Peter and John are on a walk. They're going about their normal business, and they come across a person. Now, you and I come across people all the time, and most of the time we just brush them by. We don't even acknowledge them. We barely notice them. We don't even see them. But Peter and John saw this man. Look at how many times. Look at uh, verses 4 and 5. How many times the idea of seeing or paying attention comes up. It says, Peter looked straight at him. And so did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention expecting to receive something. It's really uh, emphasized here that what's going on here is not sort of just a a, a random fly-by act of charity. What Peter and John are doing is they are trying to begin a relationship with this man. They're actually seeing him, looking him eye to eye, saying, you are a human being. We are human beings. Let's connect here. I know that it can be hard to meet your neighbors. Michelle and I When I was in grad school, we lived in an apartment complex, and we knew a a few of the people around us, like we had met them and gotten their names, but we didn't know a lot of people there until uh, we got an invite to an ice cream social that was going to be held in the courtyard of the apartment complex, and it was that weekend, so we showed up and so, so did a whole bunch of other people, and we went and got our ice cream. We're enjoying this. We're like, this is great. This is really wonderful. So we... Decided we'd go find the woman who invited us and say thank you, because she had bought ice cream for the whole apartment complex, which is really generous. And so we thanked her and she said, Oh no, don't worry about it. I didn't buy it, I won it. And we're like, oh really? We keep eating our ice cream. Oh, this is really that's interesting. She said, I won it in an essay contest. We're like, oh yeah, what was the essay about? That's interesting. She's like, well, the prompt was, why should we give you a free ice cream party? And I wrote this story about how lonely I am and how I don't have any friends. We're still eating our ice cream, and and how I didn't know any of my neighbors, and I just needed an excuse to get them to come out of their apartments to, so that I could get to know them, and we're like, oh, oh my, and suddenly it's not like delicious ice cream, it's like guilty ice cream, we're like, eh, <laughs> like what do you say after that? Can I have some more moose tracks, please, you know? <laughs> it can be tough. I, I wonder how many people feel like that woman, that they see people around in their neighborhood, in their life, but they're just... Nameless faces, people who might give a polite nod in the parking lot or as they pull into their driveway, but nothing more than that. What would it take to actually get to know our neighbors? Let me give you a few practical ideas here, okay? First is this, make it a basic principle to be outside as much as you can. Part of the problem with attached garages and fenced-in yards and air conditioning is that it's really easy to avoid being in a place where you actually encounter your neighbor. But you can remedy that if you're intentional. So try things like going for a walk each evening. Uh, if you've got a dog, you're probably already doing this. If you've got kids, that might sound like a challenge, but we've got friends that they've got three kids under five and every day they, they put them in the strollers and they put them on their bikes and they walk around the block and they meet neighbors sit in your front yard, not your backyard. Go to the neighborhood park rather than having a swing set in in the back. Be outside whenever you can. And when you see someone, walk up to them, whoever they are, say hello, have a short conversation. Just be that person in the neighborhood. The first time you do it, it'll feel weird. But the second, third, fourth time, you'll stop thinking about how strange it is. And it'll actually be really nice. People feel like the neighborhood is friendly. Second thing I would tell you to meet your neighbors is to throw a neighborhood barbecue or a block party Now when I say that some of you might be thinking well that sounds like a lot of work It's actually a lot simpler than you think and to help you with the process of planning that We've actually put together a page on our website that gives sort of step-by-step process of how to organize this It's at ccclife.org slash across the fence There's a lot of good stuff there My guess is that if you try it, if you have a barbecue, if you have a block party, that you'll realize it's easy and you'll want to do it again. In our neighborhood, once we did it once, we said, why don't we do this twice a summer? And sometimes we do it more often than that. And when you do this, a couple of things you're going to want to make sure you definitely do. The first is get contact information from your neighbors that show up just bring a piece of paper, have them write down their email. We did this at our first uh, block party that we did, and it was fantastic because we ended up with this email list that our neighbors use probably on a weekly basis to communicate something like, here's what's going on in my life, this is something that's happening in the neighborhood, I need help with this. And so it wasn't just at the party, we had this sort of ongoing communication that came up. The second thing you're going to want to do is find some way to invite someone who is at the party to do something else with you later. That might be an event here at Christ Community, or it might be as simple as just saying, hey, next week, do you want to come over to our place and have dinner? Real simple stuff. You just want to make sure the block party isn't the one time of the year that you see your neighbors. You want it to be a launching point for further relationship building. A third idea for meeting your neighbors is canning hunger. Now, if you've been here for a while, you may have heard us talk about canning hunger. But just in case you haven't, we've got a little video for you to see to explain it.
1: If you've been around Christ Community Church for a while, you've probably heard us talk about canning hunger. Canning hunger was started years ago when a Christian businessman with a passion for the poor and the hungry realized that while he was traveling all over the world... He didn't even know his neighbors right around him. Canning hunger is a pretty simple idea. Three to four times a year, we let our neighbors know that we'll be coming around to help collect non-perishable items for the needy right in our own communities. Now you might say, in our communities? Yeah. (laughs) In Kane County alone, there are over 60,000 people living at or below the poverty line, not to mention DeKalb and DePage counties. We can be a part Of solving that problem while at the same time building community in our own neighborhoods. Listen to a few people who have done this. Canning Hunger has really just helped us get to meet our neighbors and uh, get to know our neighborhood a lot better. I mean we've met more people in the past uh, year doing Canning Hunger than we had in our previous four years of living there.
0: Uh, Jim mentioned it in one of the services and it was great that we were able to do it with our young children because there aren't a whole lot of opportunities for, um, for families to serve together in such a tangible way.
1: I think if we didn't do Canning Hunger, we would still be going on the way we have been and probably wouldn't know our neighbors and our kids wouldn't have those same relationships. It was just a really uh, simple, low-risk uh, opportunity uh, for an introvert like myself. I mean, I wasn't asking for money or asking them to church right away, but it was just saying. You know, if you've got some canned goods, just bring them out and we'd love to get to know you and about you and your family. You know, who's gonna, who's gonna turn from that? When
2: well, my family and I were doing Canning Hunger a few years back, we met a great family. And the mom's name was Trish and she was battling cancer. Unfortunately, she passed away in 2012, but because of Canning Hunger, my family got to know her better. In fact, about a week before she passed away, I went to her house and she accepted my offer for me to pray over her. It was a beautiful moment that I'll never forget. Last summer, I found out that Ian was really struggling. He was missing his mom very much and he was carrying her memorial card around with him. That broke my heart. So I just felt led to find him a mentor through Kids Hope USA. So that's exactly what we did. Last weekend, I was doing some yard work and Ian and his older brother, Nick, pulled up on their bikes. And guess what they were doing? They were collecting canned goods for their local food pantry. It was such a surreal moment for me because this story just went full circle. You know, my family decided to do canning hunger so that we could help feed those in need, but obviously God had much bigger plans.
1: Today we're announcing a one-time all-church canning hunger drive. Our mission is to collect thousands of cans of food for the hungry right here in our communities, while giving you the chance to meet your neighbors and take a step across the fence, so to speak. Here's how it's gonna work. Today, when you leave the service, you'll pick up a Canning Hunger bundle, which consists of 20 brown collection bags, 20 flyers to fill out with with a little note to your neighbors, and an instruction card, just like this, that tells you exactly what to do step by step. Sometime during the week of July the 6th, you can distribute your bags to your neighbors, either in person or hanging them on their doorknob. And then on the weekend of July 11th and 12th, we'll be collecting the bags in our neighborhoods and bringing the food to your campus for that weekend service. We're gonna have local food pantries represented at each of the campuses where you can deposit your food as you drive up or as you come into the building. This is our second Saturday project in July. And while this is a one time all church canning hunger event, many of you are gonna wanna continue to do canning hunger in your neighborhood on a regular basis. My wife, Carol, and I have been doing this in our neighborhood for a few years, and it's been a fantastic way to get to know and stay in touch with our neighbors. If you want to know more about this project, as well as any of the other ideas that Clayton mentioned, you can go to ccclife.org
0: across the fence. I hope that if you try some of these things, hanging out outside, having a barbecue, doing canning hunger, you're gonna to start to meet some of your neighbors. Now, I wanna give you a tip for how you do this. It's gonna sound creepy at first, but hear me out, okay? Michelle and I, what we did when we moved into our neighborhood is we started keeping a chart of all of the houses in the neighborhood and who lived where. We actually had a map. We put it up on the whiteboard that's in our uh, kitchen and we drew it up there and every time we'd meet someone, we'd come home and we'd write down their name on their house and some identifying information about them. And it helped us keep track of who was who and and, and which houses we had never met someone in and so on. Of course, if someone came over, we like quickly erased the the map up there because it's like, how do you explain that? It's like, no, no, we're not serial killers. We're just Christians, you know? Like it's just... Super awkward, but it does help you to remember people, and it does give you a reminder to pray for people when you see your your chart doing that. Once you get to know people in your neighborhoods, the point isn't just to meet them. It's to have an ongoing relationship. And one of the easiest ways to do this is to just figure out the normal things that you do and invite a neighbor to join you. It doesn't have to be anything special. So if you're eating dinner, invite a neighbor to join you. If you're hanging out around the fire pit in your backyard, get some extra marshmallows. Invite some neighbors over to make s'mores. If you're doing home repairs or working in the yard, ask a neighbor for help. You're going to sign your kids up for t-ball or soccer or swim lessons. See if the family across the street wants to sign their kids up for the same session. If you are watching TV, invite your neighbors to join you. In that book, The Art of Neighboring, they make this great point. They say, there are probably neighbors around you who are watching the exact same sports event or TV show or movie as you, and these people are 100 feet from your front door watching the same thing on a better TV, so invite yourself over. Um, (laughs) If you're going to watch the Blackhawks game this week, then invite yourself over. Offer to bring snacks or have someone over to watch it with you. They're going to be watching it. Do it together. You can probably think of a hundred ideas like this. The point is, do normal things and bring people along. There's actually a word for this technique. It's called friendship. (laughs) Interesting idea. The point is this. If you want to have a chance at not being awkward when you try to share your faith you better make sure your interactions with your neighbors aren't random because it's going to feel like every time you're going to try to shoehorn the gospel in rather than having an ongoing relationship where it makes a little bit more sense to talk about those sorts of things. And besides, if you're only interacting in random ways with your neighbors, you're not just being an awkward witness, you're also not being a very good neighbor. Fourth reason reaching your neighbors can be so awkward is because you see your neighbor's flaws, not their needs. Look again at Acts chapter 3. Peter and John encounter a man who is lame from birth. He was a beggar. He'd been sitting outside the temple for years. My guess is that this was a guy that a lot of people thought of as a burden. He was probably used to getting reactions of annoyance and impatience and shame, probably from people who didn't even know him. People were just passing by. They take one look at him, and they make their judgment. How many of us are like that with our neighbors? We only see the things about our neighbors that bug us. That guy's yard is a mess. They play their music too loud and too late. She's always snapping at her kids as they get into the car. Those people over there, they don't even speak English. That guy doesn't smile back or wave when I say hello. And because we only know people from a distance and from the outside, we default to assumptions and stereotypes. We know just enough about them to judge them, but not enough to love them. And so when Peter and John, they encounter the lame man, they don't actually look at him as a burden. They don't complain that he's making them late for their prayer meeting. They don't look down on him in a humiliating way. They're not like the priest and the Levite in the story of the Good Samaritan just rushing past. No, they see him and they stop and they serve. It can be hard to do this with our neighbors, to get past the things that bother us to the point where we can serve them. Uh, I think of some friends of ours, we're going to call them Mike and Liz, uh, they had some new neighbors move into their neighborhood, and they were expecting to try to get to know these people, but it turned out that they were really difficult to relate with. There was a, a, a husband and a wife and their junior high-age son, and they were going through some tough stuff. Uh, the, the man was actually pretty sick. He wasn't very old, but he had some serious chronic illnesses that had taken a major toll on his body, and not just his body, but also his mind. And that made it so it was really difficult to communicate with him and actually hard to get along with him. And it had created conflict between some of the neighbors. Some of the interactions they had had led to some tension. And so Mike and Liz were really discouraged by this. But they had been praying for their neighborhood and they thought, all right, God's in charge of who lives where. And if he brought these people in to be our next door neighbors, well, that's our assignment. We're going to try to get to know them. Well, after a while, the man's health took a turn for the worse. And it was pretty clear that he didn't have very long to live. And so Mike and Liz, they thought, all right, got to serve this family. And they gathered around some of the other believers in their neighborhood, and they said, all right, let's do some simple things. They, they started mowing their lawn and letting the, the boy come over when they needed to go to a doctor's appointment and bringing meals and inviting them to neighborhood things. Some of the neighbors were handy. They'd do some fix-it projects around their house. Just easy stuff, not tricky, difficult things. But the result was the, that the man eventually died, and... This woman and her son, who are new to the neighborhood, who could have easily been alone, were actually surrounded by a supportive community of people who really loved Jesus and loved them. And what happened was it created opportunities to talk about really significant things. Uh, A number of these uh, followers of Christ got to pray with them at different occasions to talk about the things that they were feeling and thinking. And when you get to these moments where you're talking about life and death and loss and grief, it's really actually pretty easy to bring up God. It's easy to talk about faith and things like that. That's really what we're going for here, that we're around people long enough that we have an ongoing relationship and we get close to their needs because when you get close to someone's needs, that is a perfect moment to say, there's something I can offer you hope with. That's what Peter and John got to do here. They served a man that a lot of people thought of as a nuisance and as a result, they got to share the gospel not only with this guy, but all the people that were around him who saw what happened. This can happen with us in our neighborhoods if we'll take the chance to get to know people and serve them. Do you know what's going on in the lives of your neighbors? Do you know what burdens they're bearing? I guarantee they've got stuff that's hard in their life. Are you close enough to see past their flaws and start meeting their needs? And if you aren't, what opportunities might you be missing? A final reason why reaching out to our neighbors can be awkward is because we think that it depends on us and not on Jesus. Peter and John, they served this man in Jesus' name. They made it really clear. And this wasn't some magical phrase that they just sort of tacked onto a prayer, some sort of incantation to get something to happen. They used the name of Jesus because they knew that they were doing something impossible. And without his power there, without him acting, nothing was going to happen. It's really interesting. Jim and I didn't coordinate it. But last week, he preached on a story about Jesus healing a man who was lame from birth. And here's a story about Jesus' followers doing that too. Peter and John, what they had done is they had spent so much time with Jesus that they got into this mode where they said, all right, if I'm in a situation and I'm interacting with these people, let's just do what Jesus does. His spirit is in us, so let's take the kind of risks and see what happens. It was the sort of thing that could only happen if they were trusting in Christ. They didn't have their own resources. They say, we don't have money. We don't have gold and silver to give you, but we can give you this. The power of the name of Jesus. What this means for us is that we have got to be praying. We've got to be praying for our neighbors. Uh, This transforms things for us. Uh, For Michelle and I, when we started praying for our neighbors, it really radically changed the outlook that we had in in our neighborhood. Uh, We incorporated it into our daily time of prayer that we have as a couple. And when we started doing that, we, we started observing opportunities that we didn't realize were there. We started taking actions we might not have taken. We started to expect God to show up in ways that we hadn't expected before, all because we thought God's got to do things. We're going to seek him out and we're going to pray about our neighbors. I I, I don't know if I took a survey here, a show of hands of how many of you pray for your neighbors even just once a week. I don't think I'd see a lot of hands. I know that wasn't true for us several years ago. And so I want to challenge us. Let's start doing that. As we get to know our neighbors, pray for them by name and see what God's going to do. So with that in mind, I want to close the message here. praying, okay? Let's all hold our hands up like this. Everybody at all four of the campuses, I want you to hold your hands up like this. And I want you to think of two of your neighbors. You can, it might be silly, but you can almost imagine them just standing on your hands because we're going to lift them up to God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for including us in your incredible work of inviting people into a relationship with you. God, we thank you that we have been sent as your kingdom ambassadors into our neighborhoods. God, we got to be honest, this makes us scared but also excited to be brought into this assignment. And so, God, we need your power if we're going to be able to do this. Give us boldness and courage to take the steps that we need to. God, we lift up these neighbors that we're thinking of to you, these people that you love so much. God, give us opportunities to connect with them, to get to know them so that we can love them like you do. God, we know that each of them has burdens that they are carrying in their lives, And we ask that even today, even right now, that you would meet their needs. And if there's a way, God, that we can be a part of meeting those needs, show us how. Give us the chance. God, draw each of them close to you. Make them hungry for a relationship with you. Make them thirsty for something more. Open our eyes and give us opportunities to talk with them about you, God. God, we want to see your kingdom come. We want to see your will be done in our neighborhoods. We want to see you move and act. We want to see you save and heal. And so we ask that you would have your way in our neighborhoods and that you would use us in any way you see fit. And we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.